0: The days of comfortable Christian orthodoxy are past. So says Robert George, a professor at at Princeton University. They come from an article he wrote called Ashamed of the Gospel? Question mark. He goes on to make his case this way. Now, if one does not believe what the church teaches, or for now at least, even if one does believe those teachings but is prepared to be completely silent about them, one is safe one can still be a comfortable Christian. In other words, a tame Christian, a Christian who is ashamed of the gospel, who is willing to act publicly as if he or she were ashamed is still socially acceptable, but a Christian who makes it clear that he or she is not ashamed must be prepared to take risks and make sacrifices. In theory, I think we all agree on this, but in age of beheadings, and of social media lynch mobs, those words take on a different tone. Mike Huckabee says it this way, Christian convictions are under attack as never before, not just in our lifetime, but ever before in the history of this great nation. We are moving rapidly toward the criminalization of Christianity. It's not just evangelicals who are sounding the warning. Cardinal Francis George said this several years ago, I expect to die in bed my successor will die in prison and his successor will die a martyr in the public square those are serious words I don't want to be an alarmist and as I tell you I think I'm a realistic optimist but I do know that alarming things are happening all over the world toward people who stand for Christ the moral revolution in America is ramping up at warp speed we can argue about whether christians were ever the moral majority in this country if we were we certainly aren't now christians are part of a vanishing moral minority i think in this country the president of southern baptist seminary school where i went al moeller described three stages of a moral revolution listen carefully what was condemned is now celebrated what was celebrated is now condemned and those who refuse to celebrate what should be condemned are condemned themselves these are tough times and i say they may get tougher mark or Matt Staver, rather, founder of Liberty Council, says we shouldn't be surprised. He, and I say, I quote, there is no question a purging is underway. That the centers in the recent Supreme Court decision on gay marriage warned us this would happen. I think the big surprise maybe is the speed of social change. In this last year, we had that decision. Who could have imagined 10 years ago that marriage would be redefined by? the highest court in the land who could have imagined that infant parts would be trafficked by people in a socially acceptable organization these are challenging times but you might say it sure has gotten bad I tell you it's always been bad many phrases have been used to describe our times including postmodern, neo-pagan and post-Christian those fancy terms just mean that our culture has turned away from our Judeo-Christian heritage our coins may say in God we trust but that motto has become a saying in the country without much meaning we stand I say where that band of first young believers stood so we're going to turn to Matthew 10 in these next few weeks and get Jesus' marching orders to his first disciples. We're going to look at how he called uh, men who were not part of the power structure, he called ordinary men to be his first disciples. I think it was a world that they went into with the gospel that was pagan and idolatrous. It was immoral and superstitious and spiritually restless. In fact, it was a culture that didn't honor God and his followers. In Matthew 10, he gathers these men and gives them marching orders. What he says to them in Matthew 10, I think he says to us today. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to challenge you in the next few weeks, especially today. I'm going to challenge you to think about that. About your values and about your Attitude toward living out those values because I think they're absolutely critical to making you the kind of person, the kind of husband or wife, the kind of father or mother, the kind of worker or boss that you need to be. We're going to look and dive deep here. And I am confident if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, it will lead you to the right place. You see, being not ashamed of the gospel to me means we live out the truth we make choices in our life to live the truth I think as Jesus directs these first disciples he tells them to live the truth we live the truth I think these verses tell us first because Jesus called us because Jesus called us uh, the first verses here verses one through four Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee and brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You read that list and you see uh, a couple of things stand out. Uh, These are first, as I said, ordinary people. Uh, You read uh, their story and and what we know about them. You see, they're also quite a hodgepodge, quite different in their background. You go from Peter, who was a fisherman, who Jesus called now to fish for men, uh, to Matthew, who was a tax collector, who kind of represented Rome's interest and collected taxes on behalf of Rome. Simon, who was a revolutionary, James and John, who were the impetuous sons of thunder, even he called a man, Judas, who would betray him. He called these people, and it's a mysterious thing, this calling. But many of you in this room, you've experienced this calling. One day you were going along doing your thing, and maybe because somebody spoke the words of truth or, or maybe even better because you see someone live differently, live not by self but by an allegiance to Jesus. Well, just like we said and sang earlier, we surrender to him, we give our life to him. There's no turning back. You heard that call and you changed the direction of your life. Jesus called these men To be his disciples. What does disciple mean? It means a follower. It means a person who puts Jesus first in every area of their life. It means a person who seeks to please Jesus with the way that they go around town. The way they interact in their family. The way they interact in their place of work. The way they interact in the neighborhood. A person who puts him first. You can only do that as you've been called. You're called as they were called. You're called to what really matters. I think it's important to ask ourselves that as we determine how we're going to live. What does really matter? What really will last? I think these men heard that and they were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went. They were willing to follow Jesus even after he left them to ascend back to the Father. And a secular history tells us that many of these men were killed because of their faith in Christ. As Jesus calls us, I think it really does need to be a, a one-way decision. It does need to be we're either for or against him. It needs to be done with careful thought, careful consideration. But I also believe there is no better way to live. I am convinced... That only what matters for eternity is worth investing my life in today. I hope you agree. If not, I hope we can talk about that. I secondly think that we live the truth as Jesus equips us. I think this teaches us that. We live out the truth in our lives as Jesus equips us. Uh, This is the next verses, uh, verses 5 through 10. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who left leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. For the worker is worthy his keep." <laughs> You know, I, I remember when I was younger uh, and and just growing and, and beginning my life as a Christian, I, I read verses like that, they just kinda make no sense today. But I really I think there's some some insight there we can take and and use in our life. We can take and and live a life that's not a shame, that, that lives out the truth. First, he talks about do not go among the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Now you, you know if you know the New Testament that in the book of Acts, eventually the gospel is spread and, and taken to the Judeans and the Samaritans and out to the, re- the ends of the earth. It becomes a gospel that is available for all. Why does he then say for them just to go among all sheep of Israel? I think it's to remind us of this. It is easy sometimes, and you think about this, it's easy sometimes uh, to be in church and and to hear a missionary on the field in Haiti or Mexico or, or China. And to hear them and, and get excited about the gospel going to those lands. And forget, or maybe don't think about, that, that God calls us to be a missionary right where we are. That's kind of more difficult sometimes than writing a check and putting it in the plate, isn't it? To live out the truth consistently, faithfully with those people around us to, to take an unpopular stand in this politically correct culture that it, it happens right where we are. See, I think that's what he's saying. You focus on those people right around you to start with. That's what he's saying. And then what does he say? It's not just about what you say. It's not just about speaking the truth. He says to live out the gospel by physically caring for the needs of others isn't that what he says he says you say to them the kingdom is near and then you show them by doing what by taking care of those people that are on the the downside of society taking care of those people that are demon possessed take care of those people that are ill and hasn't that been always the revolutionary nature of the gospel not just what we say but what we do who built the hospitals Who built the orphanages? Who built the institutions of higher learning? Many of which have gone away from their Christian beginnings. But who built those things? You see, the church has to be not just about the evangelism of of folks, but also the ministry, the social ministry to people. Sometimes uh, Christian thinkers and writers make it sound like it's a choice. You can either do the social gospel, you can either focus on food kitchens and prison ministry and those kind of things, or you can focus on winning people to Christ, evangelism. (laughs) I say to you, it is clear to me that the church is to be about both. That that puts the, the flesh to the message. That puts the hands and feet to the message, the life-changing message of Jesus. He says to them, and he equips them to go out and not only speak to people's souls, but minister to people's bodies, minister people's needs. And so he says that to us today. We can and we will continue to do both here at Northside. The church has always been about helping hurting people, and we will continue to do that if we're going to be faithful to him. And it goes on here and gives us this this understanding of of not being worried about your provision. Not being worried about being supplied with what you need. And the, the New Testament's full of teachings like this. Don't take a bunch of stuff with you. Freely, you have been given. Freely, you can give. What's he mean by that? He means our attitude has never been supposed to be that of judgment our attitude is never supposed to have been as christian disciples uh, looking at others and seeing what's wrong with them instead we speak out of a place of reception that is because we've been forgiven we forgive because we have received mercy we extend mercy because we have received grace we extend Grace. So oftentimes, I think Christians come across in a way that's not merciful and gracious and forgiving. Yes, we need to hold firm to the truth. And we need to, as the Bible says, call a sin a sin, identify sin as a sin. But we do it with grace and mercy. As we have been blessed we be a blessing that's what he's saying to them as you have been forgiven as you have been given mercy and grace as you have been blessed go out and be a blessing and God will take care of your needs you don't worry about the the provision the material stuff I'll take care of it Jesus said in Matthew 6 33 the sermon on the mount seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that is you live out the truth and all these things will be taken care of thirdly I think this passage tells us we live the truth as Jesus directs us we live the truth as Jesus directs us verses 11 through 15 whatever town or village you enter search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave as you enter the home give it your greeting if the home is deserving let your peace rest on it if it is not let your peace return to you if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Again, these words may sound confusing, but I, I'll give you my uh, insight into what they mean. He's talking about some some very true facts of evangelism we we understand today. When you go and... And you live out the truth. And maybe people ask you, why are you doing this, this good thing? Why are you doing this, this helping thing? Th- then you share your values. You share your Christ. You share your faith, what you believe. And what will happen is uh, that you will not know how people respond to the message. Y- you won't know. And then you'll have to allow and depend on the Holy Spirit to lead you in how to respond. And that response is... Sometimes it's going to be, yes, it's be receptive. Sometimes it'll be uh, warm and cordial. Other times, as you share your faith, there's going to be hostility and reaction against it. And so he gives them that instruction to, to as you share, as you encounter and deal with folks, as the doors are open, you test them. And if they're received, you, you continue to minister. If not, Know that they're not ready. No, and there's two truths here. Uh, the light some will hear and they will accept and want for themselves. Uh, some will reject the light. And for them, judgment will be the course. You see, that's what I think he means right there toward the end when he says uh, about, and brings in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying we are to be faithful to carry the message we're not responsible for the reception we're to be faithful to to live out our values and some will accept and hear that some will be moved and transformed others will reject us and maybe be hostile toward us we're not responsible for the reception we're just responsible for the faithful committing and sending the message and if we're not received then move on another place that's what he says so that leaves me with two critical questions for today i want you to think about in your life are you living out the truth and i think these two questions will help you decide the answer to that question are you living out are you not ashamed of the gospel in this era of post-christian yes even in america post-christian times The first question is this are we pleasing God or people are we pleasing God or people are we more concerned about being popular or socially accepted than God Galatians 1 10 is one of my theme verses where Paul writes am I now am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God or am I trying to please people if I were still trying to please people I would not be a servant of Christ. It's a rhetorical question there at the beginning, isn't it? And I will tell you, this verse speaks to me because I've always been a people pleaser. I don't like being rejected. I don't like being made fun of. But I've grown in my priorities to where I'd far rather be laughed at by people than to be unpleasing to my Lord and so it is that I think we make those choices day to day we choose the values we will stand in the values we will live out are you trying to win the approval of God or people the second question maybe has some similarity are we pursuing success or faithfulness are we pursuing success or faithfulness I believe That our church could be twice the size it is right now if I compromised the gospel. If I just preached uh, messages that tickle the ears. But I will not compromise the truth. And I encourage you not either. Not worth it. For success is fickle. Success is ephemeral. Uh, Success is something that is really kind of defined and then the definition changes over time. Success, what is it after all? To me, those two are the same in the eyes of God. If I'm faithful, I will have been a success. If I'm faithful to his call, if I'm faithful to both speak his words and live out his words, then I will be a success for eternity in what matters. And so can you be. So will you be. So by now, maybe some of us are, you're kind of depressed and discouraged. I know this is not a happy, cheerful message. But it is a message, no less, that we need to hear. We're back to where it all started, I believe. In a great sense, we've gone back to the first century, back to where the early days Of the Christian movement uh, saw people being persecuted because of their standing up for Jesus God is calling us back to the future in a sense as we hear the marching orders of Jesus when faced with discouragement by believers he was talking with the late Chuck Colson he liked to quote his friend Richard John Newhouse he said this and listen carefully the Christian has no right to despair because despair is a sin the Christian has no reason to despair because Christ has risen see I if you leave here discouraged you haven't heard all of my message if you leave here in despair and I will tell you I confess there are times even today when I look at this world and it seems like it is going absolutely crazy I look at it and I'm like what in the world and that's a short road to despair or discouragement. But make no mistake, the history has not changed. Jesus is not in the grave, Jesus is alive. And Jesus is risen. And Jesus will prevail, Jesus will succeed. You need to hear this. We have a Christ who is coming back soon. We have a Christ who will save anyone who comes to him we have a Christ who will rule over the nations in the end of time that's what matters some say today that the church is on the wrong side of history I say to you that's no big deal because the Christian church has always been on the wrong side of history I hear people today saying, well, the culture is going this way. The church is this way. You're on the wrong side of history. We've always been on the wrong side of history. But at the end of time, we will be on the only side that's still in existence. And that, the history will prove out that we were on the right side. The church has been on the wrong side since the days of Nero. And it was enough to turn the world upside down. It was enough to be the foundation upon which this country was founded. It is enough to be the foundation for your life. But you and I, we have to choose. Let me leave you with this thought. The darker the night, the brighter the light will shine. The darker the night, the lighter, the brighter the light will shine. You have a light. How bright does it shine? Father, as we think about these things today, I pray that we do not give in. We do not bow. To the pressures of this age. And I fully know that there will be consequences for each of us if we choose to be faithful. But we also have your resources which are bigger than any consequences. We have your promises. We have your spiritual fruit. We have your strength. We have your faith. We have your hope. We have your love. So let us not be afraid. Let us shine. Let us shine brightly. In Jesus' name, amen.